So one of the questions that I did ask myself, because I ask myself lots of questions, sometimes I get pretty good answers, sometimes not so much, but what does it really mean to believe something? You know, because we do say it a lot. We talk about belief. We talk about faith. Uh, not too long ago, there was a simple one-word term of believe that was used as a political campaign slogan. And that always kind of bugged me, you know, because it was so open-ended. Believe in what? Hello. In him? In it? In who? And what the spin doctors were spinning? I don't know. Uh, there was also another advertising campaign out there, Obey, you know, and that just kind of hung in the air too, you know, like the smell of that food still lingering over there at the table. But what to, to obey what? To obey who? And so it's important that we look at what it means to believe. We uh, In the women's ministry, several years ago, we had a um, um, theme for one of our women's lunches that it was called Believe. The theme was Believe, but it was about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we understood that. But this doesn't quite get down to what it really means to believe. And I think we need to understand that. If Jesus is asking and inviting us to believe in him, because to reject him is, is you know, wrath and, and, and destruction, what does it mean to believe? So Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines believe this two ways. It means to accept something as true, genuine, or real, or to have a firm or wholehearted religious conviction or persuasion to regard the existence of God as a fact. I thought that was pretty good. It was a very strong you know, definition of what it means to believe. But I think I like the definition from Charles Spurgeon the best. He said, believing is a matter of the will. A man does not believe without being willing to believe. In other words, it takes an affirmative act of our will to believe in something. That means we knowingly determine to believe something is true and regard it as fact, such as God or Jesus Christ. And like, like our faith, to believe in something isn't based on a feeling. It can't be. It's a willful and rational decision based on some compelling truth. And for Christians, that compelling truth is found in the Bible. As we found in our study again and again, and he had all these encounters with Pharisees and other people's Jewish leaders, Jesus just wanted them to believe in him. He was just so crushed sometimes that they wouldn't just believe in the miracles and the work that he did and the word that he shared. He told them in John 5:40, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Not willing. So again, he's not saying, you're not feeling it for me. He wasn't asking them to feel belief for him. He wanted them to willfully choose. They didn't lack evidence. They just didn't want to believe. And I just wondered as we were going through this study, how many of you gained a greater understanding of what it means to believe? Raise your hand. Did, did it come a little bit deeper, harder, clearer to you? Good. Because it should have, because it, it was emphasized so much. How many of you grew in your belief in Jesus from this study? Raise your hand. Amen. Yes, absolutely. And this is an honest question, so don't be ashamed to raise your hand. But how many of you believe, but you still need some help in your unbelief? You've got those doubts. You've got those areas. Amen. 
Be honest, be honest, ladies. Jesus is not going to strike you dead, I promise you. <laughs> because there are those places in our hearts and in our minds where we just can't reconcile everything all the time. And Jesus gets that. Uh, I don't think he condemns us for it because we've got Peter, we've got Thomas, we've got so many other examples of those who walked with him, but yet, you know, he loved them and he loved them even in their doubt and their unbelief. He healed someone's child. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. That didn't keep him from doing his work. And kicking off our study this year, Karen said that the word believe or some form of it was used 98 times in the Gospel of John. That's more times than any other book of the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament, doesn't matter. John emphasizes belief. So it'd be hard to miss what he was trying to get across to us. So now we've kind of visited a little bit what it means to believe, to have that willful, affirmative desire to believe in some compelling truth. But then the next question you have to ask is, in who are you to believe? Again, don't just dangle believe out there and don't attach something to it. You have to have something to believe in or somebody to believe in. And obviously, for this study this year, it's been Jesus. Jesus wanted people to believe in him, believe his word, believe his works. He said in John 3.36, he says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In Acts 16.31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then in John 14.1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus says, I'm the one you believe in. I'm the one that you invest your heart, mind, spirit, and soul in. I'm the one I'm directing you to when I ask you to believe. And it's amazing that those who didn't believe in Jesus had seen, touched, and talked to him. They saw the manifestation. We, we sang earlier, Emmanuel with us, God with us. That's who he was when he walked during those days. They were witnesses to his miraculous works and to his extraordinary teaching. That was more than enough evidence for them to believe, yet they chose not to. Obviously, it takes much more will. It takes just as much will not to believe as it does to believe. And the Bible speaks to those who have or, or will harden their hearts toward the Lord and choose not to believe. We, we already know about Pharaoh when um, the Moses um, went to um, um, petition for the children of Israel to be released. They didn't believe. They chose, he chose not to believe. He hardened his heart, and God hardened it for, you know, confirmed his hardening of heart. The children of Israel in the wilderness hardened their hearts against God and chose not to believe all the things that he had already done for the future things that he would do. They chose not to believe, even with all that evidence. Nebuchadnezzar, at one time, before he became a crawling thing on all fours, um, chose not to believe and hardened his heart against believing. And even at times, the disciples themselves, even Jesus says, you still don't believe. There were, even among his, his close inner circle, some of them sometimes hardened themselves against believing in him. And then there's Jesus' family who were, you know, calling him crazy. And I guess if they had asylums in those days, they would have put him away at one time. 
before they came to, to, to salvation. And then there's still those yet in the future that will reject, willfully reject and harden their hearts against God. If you read the book of Revelations, they're going to rage against God. They're going to choose not to believe. It's going to be a choice. Decisions not to believe are as equally intentional as choosing to believe. But the good news, which is what the gospel is, is that for those of us who willfully choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, like Abraham, it will be counted unto us as righteousness. And righteousness, I had to do a study on this a while ago just for my personal study. It means that we will have a right standing before God. That's what Jesus is calling us to believe in, in him and in the standing before God that he will give us that right standing. So then my next question was, why? Why does Jesus want the world to believe in him? You know, he said, you know, Jesus said in verse 1 uh, that I mentioned earlier from um, chapter 5, verse 40, and in the much quoted John three sixteen, and I'm not going to even go there right now, that he wants us to believe in him. The reason why is so that we may have life, but not just the kind of life that we know now, that we know today, because that's not always a wonderful life, is it? Because we have trials, we have pain, we have sorrow, we have all these things that happen to us. But he wants us to have an abundant life, starting from the moment that we believe. Because we become children of God immediately. We become benefactors, uh, beneficiaries, rather, of an inheritance that we can't see here on earth. And that's part of that abundant life that we start out with the moment we believe. He wants us to have eternal life without all the boundaries of time and space that we live in right now. This is just, you know, somebody said, I think it was Eva, you know, we're just sitting on the front porch, you know, of heaven from where we are right now. That eternal life is still yet to be fulfilled, but that's part of why he wants us to believe in him because he's giving us that. And then he wants us to have a life of divine, intimate fellowship with him. I think if you don't really understand the why of salvation, the why he had to die on the cross, the why he had to take away our sins, it was all to make a way to have that unhindered, unfettered relationship with him. He wants that. He gave himself so that he could have that intimacy with us. And the motive behind all of the why is love. His love for us, which is beyond our ability to fully understand. It's so funny. Yesterday, a couple of us were at um, Disneyland. Yay, Big D. And (laughs) we ran into Tony Scotty. And I don't know... You can't run into Tony Scotty and not have some intellectual conversation about the Lord. And so we did, and we started having this conversation about the love of God toward us. And I had just, you know, gone through this study, because that's why I was at Disney's land. I was rewarding myself for having completed that. <laughs> but that's another Oprah. Uh, anyway, while we were talking about the love of God for us and how difficult it is for us to really fully understand and comprehend how great that love is. I mean, who would die for you so that you could be just this not very nice person before they even gave up their lives for you? Who would do that? And who would continue to draw you to them and to do things for you and to bless you? God's love is just incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. 
And I love that we have it. Because when you think about it, all the sacrifice that he made for us, coming down here, taking on flesh and blood, what was in it for him? <laughs> We're no bargain. I, I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that I brought anything to the table for Jesus, for all that he gave for me. Uh, I'm no prize, but out of love, he did it. I don't think anybody, when they come to Jesus, you know, says, hey, how about that Jesus? He won the lotto when he got me. <laughs> no, we're, we're no great. He didn't hit a jackpot. We're no, we're no great shakes. He paid a price higher than we could ever know. And we get benefits exceedingly, abundantly, infinitely, immeasurably above all that we might ask or think. Christ suffered for the world to believe in him in order to give us a life on this earth and beyond because he loves us. In John 3.16, I will say it now, it's kind of hard not to do a study on belief without this. It was just 25 words, but they are so powerful and they say so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why. That's why we believe. That's why he wants the world to believe. Again, everybody is invited to willfully choose to believe in Jesus for what he can do for us. He's such a giver. I mean, it just, you can't outgive God. You've heard that said before. But I think that's also the reason why so many people have a hard time believing in Jesus because our world, you know, our heads aren't fixed that way. They don't understand the kind of selfless love that Jesus had for us, that he gave us. You know, everybody today is working some kind of game, some kind of agenda. You know, if they're trying to influence you to do something, I guarantee you it's usually because there's something in it for them too. It's not just a one-way street. And, if, and you don't really have to dig too deep sometimes to find out what the real hidden motive is underneath some of these ideas and trends and movements and Unfortunately, their intentions are usually cloaked in words like equality and choice and freedom and justice and truth. And sometimes they even say love is, is the reason why you should believe in something. And they use these words because they're powerful. They're powerful words and they stir our emotions. You know, who wouldn't be in favor of promoting these virtues in our society? But like I said, if you just scratch a little bit more beneath the surface, you'll find some other reason or mutually beneficial advantage for believing in a particular ideology. But not so with Jesus. Amen. Not so with Jesus. He has no hidden agenda. He has no trigger words. We don't have to use a fact checker whenever he speaks. Praise God. Jesus wants us to believe so he can give to us and give generously. James 1.17 says he wants to shower us with blessings here on earth, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. That means that it's coming down on us now, today. It's not waiting for those good and perfect gifts for when we get in heaven. Some of them are already being bestowed on us today, ladies, and that's, that's wonderful. That's a gift. Hebrews 11.6 says that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
He's rewarding us. He's showering us with his good and perfect gifts. These are the benefits that we get for believing in him. This is why he wants the world to believe in him. Christ wants to do for us what no psychologist, no drug, no diet program, no liposuction, fat freeze, Botox, or makeup can do. (laughs) He wants to make us completely new. Our old life is gone. A new life begins. This is why Jesus wants us to believe, so he can shower us with his blessings of love and a new and abundant life. So next we saw the what it means to believe. We saw the why to believe. But what are we to believe? If we will believe, he will bless us. And here are some of the things you can believe God will do if you are willing to believe. So just be patient with me because these are mostly scriptures, but they're good ones. And they're ones that will reinforce some of the things that um, God will give us if we're willing to believe. We can believe God will listen to your prayers. Psalm 6-9, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Psalm 28.6, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. 1 John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is what we can believe God will do. He will listen to our prayers. Next, we can believe that God will respond to us. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Come to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Luke 11, verses 10 through 13, Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. God responds to our prayers. He responds to our supplications. Next, God, uh, believe God will always love you. And that's sometimes a hard thing for us because I think we always think that we're so unlovable. And we are. But God dresses us, cloaks us in that righteousness of his son so that he can love us as we would never know know love before. And Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Isn't that an amazing title? Walk out of here as a child of God in not a bad way. Sometimes people say that. It's not nice. But to be a child of God is to have an incredible father with an incredible love that we can't even understand. That's what it means that we can believe that God will always love us like that. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. He didn't wait for our love to be reciprocal. He initiated it. He will always love us. And then in Ephesians 1.4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We can believe that God will always love us. We can also believe God will forgive our past. Psalm 103, 12 through 13, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
so far has he removed our transgressions before us. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God will forgive us of our past. We leave that behind. That's the old life. And he replaces it with new. We can believe God will redeem our life. Psalm 49, 15, but God will redeem your soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Galatians 4, 4 through 6, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We can believe God will comfort us. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How often I go to this scripture because sometimes my soul and my body is just about broke. But I know that he will give me that rest. If I take on his yoke, he will give me that rest. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. I love that scripture because he, again, we can't outgive God. He's always going to give in kind and even more. We can believe God will strengthen us. Psalm 118.14 says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That is a real comfort because we oftentimes try to do a lot of things in our own strength. God doesn't really mean for us to carry those burdens that we carry around a lot of times, ladies. We're, we're carrying stuff he, he's already taken. We just keep taking back. You put it up on the altar. Mm, feeling a little empty here. Let me go drag it back down. <laughs> He wants to care for us. He wants to take those burdens. He wants us to be strengthened in his power and in his might. We can believe God will help and guide us. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Also trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. John 16, 13 says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you things to come. We don't have to be clueless, ladies, about what God has for us or what the world, what what life has for us. We can look to him. He will guide us. He will help us through his word as we go to him in prayer. We can believe God will provide for our needs Everybody should know this verse, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means he's given it all to us, everything that we want and need. Psalm 145, 15 through 19. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That would be us. That would be our little puppies. That would be our every living thing he takes care of. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We can believe God will be with us. 
Matthew 28, 20 says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And John 14, 14 through 18 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth will dwell with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He will be with us. We are never alone. We may be lonely, but we are never alone. And we have to always remember that. We can believe God will keep his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. And in 2 Corinthians 1.22, God has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that, get this ladies, guarantees everything he has promised. He's given us a guarantor through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. That's, that's, that's how strongly he holds to his promises. And then, you know, we hear promises made to us all the time. We probably make some that we break even ourselves. But Numbers 23, 19 and Hebrews 6, 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. So there is no promise that he makes to us that he will break ever and into eternity. We can believe him for that. And then lastly, we can believe God will give us joy. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, we're back to believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory because we believe in Jesus. We have joy. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? That's just a list of some of the things that I could find of what we can believe God will do for us. So you have to ask yourself some questions as you kind of review this list a little bit. Are you willing to believe God will do what he says he will do? Do you have that full faith and trust? Are you still needing some help in your unbelief? Don't be afraid or ashamed of that. Ask God to help you in that. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, in his word, in his works, his sacrifice to give us new life? This is, this is, these are the tenets of the guarantee that we hold on to for our salvation. And do you understand what we can believe God will do for us and in us and through us? The wonderful thing, like I said, is we can bring our doubts to him like Thomas and others did. He'll take us back after we deny him or fail him like Peter did. He will patiently minister to the things that we don't understand, like pretty much all 12 of the disciples, because they were kind of clueless some of the time. He will persistently try to reach us where we are, as he did the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other Jewish leaders. And he will heal us of the things that hinder us, like he did the lame and the blind. And he will raise us to new life, like he did Lazarus. Do you believe God will do this for you like he did for these people? These, these people that we study. If you really believe, God will listen to your prayers, respond to you, 
always love you, forgive your past, redeem your life, comfort you, strengthen you, help and guide you, provide for your needs, be with you, keep his promises to you, and give you joy. If you believe that and you haven't given your life to him, tonight is the time to receive all of those benefits and all of those blessings that he wants to shower on you. Or if you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord tonight, maybe you've slipped away a little bit. You haven't been as close to the Lord as you used to be. Tonight is the night to believe. Or maybe you just want to offer some praise and worship to God just for all the things that he's already done, just to celebrate the fact that he loves you, that he wants that intimate fellowship with you. We can pray for that tonight, too. Because the most important thing in life is for us to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that he's the giver of new life, hope, and salvation. So I leave you with the question, ladies. Do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you do draw us to yourself, Lord, that we know what to believe, we know who to believe, and we know why. Father, your son died because of the love that you had for us. He gave his life, Lord, but he rose again, Father, so that you could give us new life, so that we could look to the cross and to the resurrection, Lord, for our hope, for our salvation, for our joy, for our strength, for our comfort, for your presence for our redemption so that you can hear our voice, Lord, and respond. Father, we thank you just for the gift, for the blessing. We pray, Lord, that for those who have not received you as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, that they will accept your son tonight. They will believe on Jesus Christ and that they will say in their hearts, Lord, take my life. Father, it's yours. Forgive me of my sins, Father. Give me a new heart, a new life, Father. Let your Holy Spirit dwell in me, Lord, and abide in me so that I may know you better. And for those, Lord, who may have just um, loosened their grip on faith, Lord, and belief, Father, help strengthen them, Father God. Build them up in their most holy faith, Lord. And as we learned uh, at our retreat, Lord, from faith to faith, Lord, you will be there to provide that strength, that power, that enabling. And Father, for those of us who just are grateful for all the work that you have done, are doing, and will do in our lives, in the lives of others, and in the ministries of your people, Lord, we, we thank you, Father, for this work. We love you, and we praise you, and we just Send all these things to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.